Hello and welcome to our third episode in the Planet Action Now series. McKenna and I are really excited for today's episode. We have a special guest with us today who works for a company that has a possibility to seriously affect our ability to incentivize, manage, and measure carbon removal in our atmosphere. Here to explain uh, how that is going to be done is lead strategist for Nori, Ross Kenyon. Ross, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so before we start, we would like to let everyone know that Nori.com has a podcast, and it's really interesting. They talk to some really insightful people. So go check that out. Thanks. Yeah, I'm happy you both have been enjoying it. It's called Reversing Climate Change. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's one of the more fun parts of my job, I, I have to say. That's awesome. How many years have you been doing that now? Uh, more than two. Uh, yeah, about, yeah, more than two. It's been, you know, I think there's between the two different shows, there's another one called Carbon Removal Newsroom. I think there's something like 150 or 160 episodes across them. So that's a lot of me talking into the vacuum <laughs> and hoping it gets picked up. So you will soon experience this, I'm sure. Just to start off, can you tell us a little bit about what Nori is and what your company does? Yeah, Nori is a carbon removal marketplace. So even if we stopped all emissions immediately, there's still way too much greenhouse gases in the atmosphere and they need to be pulled down. Uh, most of the efforts that you see today uh, deal with reducing the amount we admit, which is great. We need to do that too. But there's just so much in the atmosphere that there's a certain amount of warming that is already locked in, is how people talked about this. So even if we stopped emitting, we're already you know, committed to a certain amount of warming just because of what's already in the atmosphere. So Nori's focus exclusively on drawing carbon emissions out of the atmosphere and storing them in some permanent or quasi-permanent fashion. Uh, just to deal with those past emissions in some sort of credible way. So we're a marketplace and we've started with soil carbon. So farmers in the United States who change the way they farm can go from emitting greenhouse gases to actually pulling a lot of greenhouse gases into their soils. So how exactly do we work with them? How do we incentivize this behavior? How do we make sure that this actually is happening? Because this is one of the problems that soil carbon has had in other carbon markets is how do we know this is actually a legitimate thing that's happening and not just uh, numbers in a spreadsheet, et cetera. We are quite involved in a number of those facets and also have a lot of partners we work with too. Yeah, I love that concept and the idea of not just limiting emissions, but actually trying to reverse climate change. That's really interesting. So how did you guys come up with the name Nori? Uh, it was a long process. If you ever go through there's sort of a name generation process for new companies. And we didn't want anything with green or carbon in the name. Uh, we wanted something a little more abstract or ideas based or imagery based. So we went with Nori, both because it's short, it can be a verb, it's cute. It also is carbon negative, uh, seaweed cultivation and aquaculture, if you do it correctly. And we're very excited about basically people farming in the ocean in that kind of way. I think there's going to be a lot of that this coming century, some of which will be carbon negative and hopefully will be represented in Nori as blue carbon is what that entire sort of umbrella of carbon removal technologies is called. Wow. Did you say seaweed? Is that? Seaweed. Yep. Wow. That's, that's right. That's crazy. Yeah. So um, like kind of about like how exactly do you bring it out of the atmosphere? How do you reverse it? How do you make sure that you're actually sequestering the carbon and not just like limiting it? What are the specific ways you're hoping to like actually take the carbon out of the air? 
So we've focused to start on United States farmers and their soils for croplands. So people who are growing uh, crops is who we're working with now. But ultimately, we like to say that we're agnostic to the means of carbon removal, so long as it's done uh, in an ethical way, and also that it's trustworthy and it's actually happening. And there's quite a lot that's being done. People typically partition the space into called nature-based solutions or natural or ecological methodologies. And those are things like planting trees or the blue carbon with seaweed or with uh, mangrove restoration, stuff like that, or also regenerative agriculture. And then there's this other side, which is industrial uh, carbon capture. And this includes quite a number of things like direct air capture is the one everyone thinks of, which if you imagine a very large vacuum cleaner <laughs> that basically separates carbon dioxide from ambient air. So just like the air that we exist in and then, you know, either pumps it underground to store it or turns it into some sort of material that's durable, that isn't emitting back into the atmosphere, stuff like that. And then there's also hybrids, which we're really looking forward to this too. Uh, wooden buildings has, they've been having a renaissance lately. People are really excited about new ways of using wood that is much safer than the way that we use wood now. It doesn't burn as easily, at least according to some things that I've seen. I, I can't guarantee this. Um, but they're making taller buildings now. There's there's wooden skyscrapers or multi-story buildings that are made out of wood. And if you manage the force in the right way from which you're receiving this wood, it can be carbon negative. Uh, of course, the question with any of these things is how do you measure it and like what counts as carbon negative or not? And people, very, very smart people are always working on this. And we watch this quite closely, too, because we want to make sure that people trust the Nori brand and marketplace for doing that. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I know I've I've kind of watched some of the videos you had with like farmers such as like Trey Hill uh, in Maryland. So how many how many of these deals have you actually worked out with Nori? Um, what are your your current like plans of action with this? Not sure how many farmers exactly are in and which in which there's more than just Trey, although only Trey's uh, Nori carbon removal times the the asset that he's generating that is being sold through the Nori marketplace. Those have only been Trey's so far, in my understanding. But yeah, Trey has been a really big supporter of Nori. Anyone who takes a risk on a startup, I mean, think of what he had to give up to work with us. There's lots and lots of hours that we had to spend making sure the data was in the right form so it worked between these systems and all this coordination. And so Trey took a pretty big risk to work with us, which is great. There's a lot of cool stuff happening at the intersection of agriculture and technology. And, and Trey's a great example of that. But there are others too that we are working with. I just couldn't give you a, a super clear understanding of that on this call. That's really cool. I love what Nori's doing. So from watching some Nori videos and listening to the podcast, it seems like Nori's method of solving this imbalance of carbon is by incentivizing the removal of carbon from the atmosphere beyond the people who are actively trying to fight climate change. How is Nori planning to incentivize the removal of carbon to like corporations or other places? Uh, I feel like I hear an announcement every week at this point. Today, I saw that Delta Airlines announced that they want to be carbon neutral uh, very soon. Uh, Microsoft recently made a big announcement about negating all of their emissions from their entire existence wow. and actually going carbon negative. There's a lot of stuff like this happening at a pretty regular clip. Um, companies want to be seen as being leaders and their shareholders, the people who have 
uh, bought shares in their company, they recognize that climate change poses a very big risk to their business model. And they want to make sure that they're somewhat insulated from this risk. So companies in, in many cases are now thinking like, how do we take leadership and actually be doing something about climate change in a really, really credible way. Like since airlines emit quite a lot and people will actually directly experience this and there's things like called like flight shame, which has been a, a movement. Airlines want to make sure that people don't stop flying. They just make sure that they're doing things in a more sustainable kind of way. There's also things like um, a lot of big agriculture brands are having their farmers start to transition to regenerative practices. And I've alluded to this a little bit, but things like not tilling as much, not plowing your land, uh, or not applying as much synthetic fertilizer, uh, pesticides, herbicides, et cetera, because the carbon in the soil that is being grown is microbial life. And those things that I just named is a way of releasing that to the, to the atmosphere and not having it being kept in the soil. But if you're able to till less and you're not having to buy fertilizers, your farmers are saving a lot of money, which is good for them because it's a low margin business. They're not making like it's something that you make money on with a volume rather than uh, anything else. Uh, you're, you're only making a little bit per unit. Um, so if the prices are fluctuating wildly, you might have a really great year and a really bad year or something like that. And then also there's estimates about how much erosion and how many uh, years of harvest are left with soil erosion and soil health which there was a United Nations report that came out not too long ago about how there's something like 60 harvests left at the current rate. So big brands want to make sure they're able to sell products in the future. So they're actually trying to get their farmers to make this switch. No, that's that's amazing. Oh, I mean, because wow. really getting like the corporations on board should be like one of the first priorities, it seems like. Yeah. So has Nori partnered with any airlines or like corporations? Is this your attempt at industrial espionage? Who do you work for? We're going to steal your so, idea, man. Yeah, is that what this is? You're trying to trying to get that inside information. Uh, no, we're we're we've we've spoken with with various uh, people from from different industries, um, and we have uh, some partners that are listed on our, our website, but no, not nothing yet from like the, the airlines per se, but maybe in the future. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that kind of gets into like the distinction you have between the, the CRCs, the carbon removal certificates, which is, if I understand correctly, where you they have a direct buy, which means that they buy a certain amount of certificates and then that carbon is sequestered. But then you're also hoping to create a marketplace where you have Nori tokens where people can buy and sell those carbon credits. Uh, could you explain that to our listeners? I don't always lead with it because the, the end goal is for the marketplace to work very well without you having to think about some of these things like cryptocurrency and blockchain are very famous examples of something that is complicated that is not easy to wrap your head around. So <laughs> we, we want it to be there for people who want that level of customizability but not everyone does. Not everyone wants to be a power user of every product that they or platform that they participate in. So I don't think it'll be we don't want it to be necessary in the future for everyone to really know a lot about those things that we want it just to work. Like, for instance, uh, may I ask, how, how old are you both? I'm actually I'm 17 and I'm 14. Wow. So you're um, the, the, the quote unquote term for for you guys. then I think is, is digital natives or have you heard that before? 
No, I haven't. <laughs> so yeah, you just you just grew up with it then. Whereas like I was the last generation where like I had a 56k modem growing up that would make those terrible sounds when you'd <laughs> log on. And so anyways, like what I'm trying to say though is that you're used to logging onto a website and it pretty much working very well and being very intuitive. And it was not always like this. Oh yeah, see. And blockchain and, and cryptocurrency is, is sort of still at that former stage where it requires a lot of of uh, nerd capacity of the user to, to really <laughs> know what's happening. So that being said, there are plenty of good functional reasons that we we choose to include these. But the simple answer is right now we we actually are no longer calling them carbon removal certificates because it was a little confusing. We changed that to Nori carbon removal tons, but it's still the same thing. So one of these okay. um, NRTs or uh, NERTs is sometimes what we call them. One of these NRTs represents uh, one metric ton of carbon dioxide uh, or another greenhouse gas equivalent removed from the atmosphere and stored in some sort of way. And right now, since we're only selling the NRTs that were generated on Trey Hill's farm, Trey uh, was willing to part with those for $15 a ton. And then Nori makes money when we take a 10% transaction fee from the buyer. So one metric ton of carbon dioxide stored on Trey Hills Farm right now is $16.50. And the token as a buyer is just not involved. So this is a good example of the iterative lean methodology here because the token is confusing and there's a lot going on. We just threatened to start a lot simpler and just say, here's, you know, cash on the barrel head and then you can Smart, yeah. take it. But in the future, one of these Nori carbon removal tons, NRTs, will be exchangeable for one Nori token. And the Nori token is would be freely floating in terms of its value. So people would trade uh, assets against it and it would have price discovery in that way. People would figure out like broadly, what should this nori token be valued at and then in the future and i'm not sure how many steps are between now and then one of those nori tokens will be tradable for one nori carbon removal time so that the price of that nori token becomes the price of carbon removal and what is really cool about this is there really isn't a market driven price on carbon especially carbon removal that is mm. Uh, universal. So like other types of assets, I don't know if, if, if uh, you have ever left the TV on the financial news station and you've seen like pork bellies trading. Have you ever seen that? Oh yeah. 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 You're like, why, why is it, why is pork bellies here next to Microsoft's ticker? Uh, like, <laughs> what, what is a pork belly? But that's like a, a standardized way of saying like, this is how much like a pig of a certain uh, standard, how much it can be exchanged for. And, and one of those is as is as valuable as any other. They're fungible, is what they say. Right. So. So then you just know, like, the is, price of pigs is this, and that's what we want the Nori token to do for carbon and carbon removal is have that be a universal, uh, global market-driven price on the price of carbon removal. If that makes sense. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Um. Because I know that was one of the problems that a lot of people had with like cap and trade, is it was really fluid. So they would they would set a limit, but it wouldn't it wouldn't be a real limit. So if you have a certain amount, like like you were hoping to have for the Nori tokens, then yeah, there's cap and trade has been tried a number of times, to, and some of them have worked relatively well, and others have have not. But I'm definitely uh, not the expert there. We've done some sh it shows on that too. If you'd ever 
don't know if you've listened to those ones with Alden Donnelly, who's our director of carbon economics. But if you ever do want to nerd out on uh, cap and trade, uh, she's a good one to listen to. Yeah, and I think I heard a problem with cap and trade is they have a lot of double counting. And with Nori's plan freezing blockchain, that won't happen, right? Of tokens and certificates? Indeed, that's one of the reasons we do like blockchain. And some of those problems, and that's that. this is true just of a lot of offset markets uh, in general too, or carbon asset markets, I should say, is this tendency to double count, which there it isn't purely a, a technological problem. In some cases, it's, it's political of how do you make sure that people are able to stay in the marketplace in a way that uh, makes sense for them. Sometimes you just have to make design choices that are not necessarily in the best interest of the, the carbon. So it isn't purely a technical thing, but indeed we think blockchain makes a lot of sense for us for the double counting so you can see uh, what happened. Basically, if you have an internet connection, the, the aim of, of blockchain, so long as it's public, is that you can see you know, who owns what, what kind of transactions happened, and you're not trusting some central intermediary that you may not trust. So like when you put money in a bank, you are assuming that the bank is, you know, your money is there. They're not changing the numbers when you're not looking. But you have to trust that the bank is, is going to behave themselves in that way. And one of the goals of blockchain is how do you do a system like that without having a centralized party like a bank who's managing that kind of information. So imagine that for carbon assets where you're just able to see so-and-so bought this asset on this date. It was retired and here it is publicly. It's not like so-and-so bought this asset. They claimed that they're carbon negative now. Oh, and then they sold it to someone else. And then that other person is now claiming to be carbon negative too. So yeah. that's one of the, the good things about blockchain too. There's also a lot of hype with blockchain and there are people sometimes say it's a solution in search of a problem for some issues. <laughs> and that, that I don't know that I would always disagree with that either. You want to make sure you're using it for the right reasons. That shouldn't... Um the normal consumer wouldn't really be uh, worried with blockchain too, because if you're um, going straight and it's just like a buy and sell of carbon credits, or then blockchain wouldn't really be used, right? It still would be, um, but it sort of depends. And it depends on what stage of the iteration we're at with Nori too, and how much is actually committed to the blockchain versus not. That will evolve as time goes on here too. But yeah, I mean, the av- if what you're asking is, does the average person care that it's on the blockchain? Probably not. I don't, I think they want to feel like they can trust it. So they're happy that it exists. But unless I think you really want that level of customizability or you're a company and you really want to be able to point to it and say, here's the, here's the transaction on the blockchain, check it out. This is legitimate, credible. Believe us when we say we're carbon negative. I think that's going to be, more valuable to them maybe than some people. I don't know, a lot of people like to, a lot of individuals wanna buy carbon removal and say, hey, look, I have taken steps and been responsible and I have paid up and I'm now carbon neutral or negative. So I don't know, uh, but I think it's a good question. I don't, and I would like to test that with customers and see who actually cares. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting. And I would just like to mention too, you guys are online right now. You go, you. People can go and buy credits from you and sequester their own carbon, say, for just like the carbon that they emit themselves or like driving their car, taking a flight. They can actually set the amount and um, 
sequester carbon with you guys currently, right? Yeah, absolutely. You, can, you go to nori.com. It's right there on the homepage. And there's all sorts of podcasts and documentation, videos, webinars, all sorts of things if you'd like to dive in. How, mu- how much carbon is something like a, like a one-hour flight? How many tons of carbon would that be? There is actually a handy tool, and I'm pulling this up on my computer literally as we speak. For one passenger, for one to six hours, it's saying I should do about one metric ton of uh, wow. carbon dioxide. Seven plus, it's telling me go for two tons. Awesome. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's the $16 you were talking about, right? Yeah, it's $15 per ton. And then there's a 10% transaction fee. So yeah, $16.50 per metric ton. So if you bought a carbon renewal credit here or something like a token, would it be, would you be taking the CO, would Nori be taking the CO2 out of the atmosphere? today or within the next year or is it like a future promise of when the company gets started or contacts more farmers yeah uh, what insofar as it involves the token so tokens have been sold to this point in fact we've been fundraising but but we haven't been selling equity like a lot of startups do like if you've seen that show silicon valley or you know that's how companies they sell ownership in their company as a way of raising money for their operations and growth uh, we didn't do that. We have mm. uh, Nori. We've been selling Nori tokens. Uh, is what we've been doing with that. Right now, you can't use those tokens. In fact, the tokens haven't even been issued yet. So, as of this recording in February of 2020. But when that actually does happen, at some point, one will purchase Nori carbon removal tons, the actual carbon removal, with one uh, Nori token. So that will happen at some point. It isn't clear to me if that will happen this year or, or next year. Uh, I think we're still still trying to, it's a little little ahead of where we are right now, but we are thinking about when that might be. Awesome. Great. Cool. I, know, I know you were talking about a lot of different ways you can sequester carbon kind of in the beginning of the podcast. I know you guys are currently working with farms. What are you guys hoping to branch out into uh, after that? Uh, yeah, this is uh, a question that, the nori knots uh, as we call ourselves like to discuss <laughs> quite a bit it's a big decision for for any company too you have to you have to make sure you're spending your time in the most efficacious way what exactly is the most i don't know sensible way to continue to grow the company which methodology do we choose i'm not sure we've decided that but all of the ones I've mentioned, we're very interested in. I think one of the main filters for evaluating those is how much some of them cost. So direct air capture is very cool and it's very scalable in the sense that you can basically put them anywhere on earth. Mm. And that's really, really valuable. But right now it's still very expensive per ton of carbon dioxide removed and stored uh, relative to something that's more ecological. So that hasn't been there yet, but it seems like the same as with companies announcing their carbon goals, not a week goes by or maybe a little bit longer, maybe a month goes by. I hear some very exciting uh, news about the cost coming down for direct air capture or new investment in direct air capture. So something that's coming, I think it's just a little farther off. But I don't know what the next one is for Nori, wh- where we're going. There's a there's an engineering term that we like. Just, it's called just in time. I think it's Toyota. I don't think it's Honda, Toyota, <laughs> but it was, it was like, how do you keep as little inventory in your warehouse as possible? Because that's expensive. How do you, how do you get stuff shipped to you at exactly the right moment? So you're always using it. 
So like Nori tries to have a vision of the future, but we also aren't prescribing everything ahead of time so much because we need to be nimble because we're a startup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, like you guys definitely, that's, it's a giant undertaking that you guys are hoping to do. So, I mean, like what are some of like the biggest difficulties that you've had kind of trying to create this? Uh, yeah. Uh, this is a question on the outline that caused me some degree of soul searching. I must say, <laughs> uh, no, I think the big one that I come back to and if, uh, your listener has made it to this point, this will make perfect sense to them. <laughs> there's a there's a concept I like. So in a previous life, I was a, a screenwriter. And I was living in Los Angeles and I was writing scripts and trying to get them sold. And, and that's what I was doing. And there's a book that I read called Save the Cat. And that book is a way of helping writers think in terms of three-act structure. Like when you see a movie, basically all movies or, or well-told stories have a formula. And they sort of like hit the same highs, like a character will have something, you know, they'll have their normal life and then something will happen to them and then they'll have to debate whether or not they want to go on this journey. And then they'll have these like ups oh, and yeah. downs through it and they'll like almost win, but then have a devastating <laughs> setback. And then they'll finally win and then they'll re return home. So it's like, so that just exists across, you know, for thousands and thousands of years of human civilization and prehistory. This is one of the ways that we tell stories. It's just sort of like built into the structure of the human brain. Um, so that's what this book is about. Yeah. I don't know that you needed all of that, but I hope that was halfway interesting to you. Yeah, <laughs> of course. There's a concept in that book I really liked, which is, there's a section about writing rules and one of them is called double mumbo jumbo. And the example that is used <laughs> is something like you can have werewolves and you can have time travelers, but you can't have time traveling werewolves. Uh, it's just like too much magic all on top of each other. It's confusing. It doesn't work. And Nori is kind of like that sometimes where <laughs> you're like, okay, we're only carbon removal, which is an industry that doesn't yet exist, but we would like to help create. And also there's blockchain <laughs> involved. And we're not selling equity, but we're selling tokens instead. And there's just a bunch of things that are all on top of each other, which can be confusing. So one of the reasons why we do our podcast is because we want to educate people and bring them into why we're doing it this way and why we think it makes sense. But one of the criticisms that Nori could justifiably receive is that we are taking on too much at once. And so I think, <laughs> I think that is probably the answer I would give. But I think... That's one of the parts of Nori that I love. All these beautiful concepts kind of coming together. It just seems like a really great solution. So I think just keep doing what you're doing. I love it all. <laughs> yeah, when you're done with this, write a biography, honestly. Thanks. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're enjoying the wild ride that is Nori. If nothing else, I feel like it's intellectually stimulating. Uh, so that's good. Of course. Yeah, I definitely found it to be. Yeah. So at the end of each of our podcasts, we like to ask our guests to provide one action that they can recommend our listeners that would really help with global warming and climate change. What do you feel is the single best thing an individual can do to affect climate change right now, or at least in their everyday lives? I wish I had a really good answer for this one. And I'm not sure that I do. I, I walk a lot of places and I ride my bike places. I try not to drive too much, but I don't know that on net that makes a difference because I have chosen to live somewhere close enough to my work that that is available to me. 
but that means I bid up the price on housing in this area. So someone else had to live farther away so I could live closer. So did that actually do anything? Uh, I, <laughs> I am not sure, uh, but it makes me feel good and I get to brag about it. But uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, I think maybe the way I would answer this in a wiggly way is that the details of these things matter. So I gave an example that at, at its face value, looked like a really good thing. I'm not driving that much, but maybe someone else is just driving more to make up for it because I, I took their apartment. So <laughs> I think make sure when you're thinking about what you're doing, it actually makes a difference because there's plenty of things that the term for this is uh, greenwashing. I'm sure you've heard it. Oh yeah. It, it sounds like it's doing something, but it's actually not. I don't know. Try to look into what you're actually doing and seeing that it is making a difference um, because plenty of things sound good, but or maybe a waste of your time and energy. And I don't know, I imagine for you guys, I don't know, do you have a lot of climate anxiety? Or are you worried about what happens when you grow up? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, we've we've been trying to, we used to do like a bunch of gray water uh, when we were younger and stuff. We're trying to um, at least try to move to electric cars and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm really nervous for the future. Uh, that's one of the main reasons that we started this podcast actually, to help kind of educate ordinary citizens and, and help the people help themselves. Yeah, and I think the more I would learn, it starts to get really stressful and you want to like sort of push it out of your mind. But I would say just keep trying to find more information because you see what people are trying to do and it gives you hope and it gives you more energy and feeling like you want to push forward into the future and just keep fighting. Yeah, and that's why I love Nori so much because you guys really are trying to do that. You guys are actually trying to reverse, which I haven't really seen from anybody yet much less a company so ross thanks thank you so much for having you on the show um it's been a pleasure yeah thank you so much well thank you yeah i'm, I'm honored you invited me to be on thanks for saying so many nice things i'm glad you like nori and uh, <laughs> keep in touch let me know if i can ever help you guys yeah it's really fun to talk to you thank you thank you that was ross kenyon lead strategist for nori Please check out Nori.com and their podcast, Reversing Climate Change. Links to their podcast and website will be listed in our show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening.